and welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking here. Today's guest for Painless Podcast number 37 is Tony Schiller, a partner at Paragon Marketing in Chicago. Catch some great stuff like this. If you have that orientation of, I'm here to help, I'm here to add value to your effort, and you can add that value, you'll be perceived as someone that people want on their team. There's a perfect example of what we're trying to do with each Painless Podcast. Get connected with good human beings in and around sports and event marketing, not just sound bites, but conversations with smart and interesting and generous people who share with us how and why they've reached the success they've had and how and why networking and mentoring have shaped their careers. Now, you may love networking or maybe hate it, but you know you've got to figure it out. I've got two suggestions for you. One, check out the all-new website, www.painless.network. Set up a free profile, simply and directly connect with other members and painlessly solve your problems. Now you can post or share jobs, internships, or projects in real time, or maybe you're looking for an awesome new job, or you're trying to get connected with a potential partner or vendor. Just head to the new painless.network today, take the pain out of networking. Secondly, head to the events page because we've got an event tonight. If you're listening on this date of release, Wednesday, December 6th, join us at Happy Camper in Chicago at Wells and Division, our annual fun holiday gathering. All the details are in the events calendar page on the website, painless.network. Now, if you can't make it or you're listening after 12-6, don't skip ahead. You can head to the site as well because I'm going to keep the ticketing page open to take donations for Children's Home and Aid, our beneficiary this year. All proceeds will go to Children's Home and Aid, all proceeds, and support their holiday gift program. Please help give kids who may not otherwise have a happy Hanukkah or Christmas or just holiday season, period. Go to painless.network to help make that happen today. All right, today's podcast, Tony Schiller. Hear about starting at Chicago Theater, GM Productions, the Cavaliers, Chicago Wolves, forming what was Halo and now Paragon, or better yet, here is great advice and insights that can help anyone from a college student through a grizzled veteran. Recorded December 1st at Paragon's offices along the Chicago River, let's get connected with Tony Schiller. Well, hello and welcome back to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick here with today's guest, Tony Schiller, partner at Paragon Marketing. Got a great story and uh, brings a great perspective to sports and event marketing. So let's get right into it though, Tony, and hear your side. What is Besides being a partner, what kind of stuff are you up to these days with Paragon Marketing? Good morning, Chris. Well, the first thing that I think of when I hear that we've been around for 22 years is I'm one of the old guys. <laughs> Hopefully that allows me to add some wisdom and perspective. So what we're involved in, what we're focused on, what we're in the business to do is to, very simply, it's not about the big sign in left field. It's not about sponsorships. It's not about strategic partnerships. All of those are relevant. What, what we're in business to do is help our clients engage with their target consumer. And we, we use that vis-a-vis partnerships in the sports world, entertainment, music, but we really don't talk much about sponsorship. Internally, we talk about engagement and sustainable engagement. You're touching across, you can get involved from everything from strategy through uh, the front end all the way through the back end of execution and, and measurement and everything in between that, right? So. You know, is there a good example of something that you can share with people listening as, you know, what maybe even differentiates Paragon with who else is, is out there right now? Sure, that's a great question. So a particular project that comes to mind uh, with our client, UC Health, University of Colorado Health Care out of Colorado. They're the state's largest provider of health care. And they started about four, four and a half years ago. We were hired about two years ago. And one of the first challenges we received was to put together a portfolio of, of traditional team partnerships. So uh, over a quick span, we helped UC Health become partners with the Nuggets, the Avalanche, the Rockies, the Broncos, the US, USOC Training Center in Colorado Springs, a few universities, minor league teams, pretty much anything that was worth sponsoring in the state UC Health has built a relationship with in many cases we initiate those relationships in some cases we enhanced and solidified those partnerships so fast forward to about uh, a year ago the CMO at UC Health challenged his advertising agency he wanted to do something to celebrate men's health awareness in the month of November which is known as Movember to really drive 
uh, awareness of men's health, of making sure that men are aware that they need to see their physicians, what they need to be thinking about uh, as they're in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, et cetera. And he challenged his advertising agency to come up with a holistic campaign to, to drive that message and execution. And the advertising agency brought an idea. It was shot down. Uh, the CMO asked them to go back to the drawing board. They came back with a second idea. It was shut down. The CMO then came to Paragon and said, okay, we're now 14 days out. <laughs> I need a plan. So in, in, in 72 hours, we came up with a plan that was approved, and we then had 11 days to execute to, to get the plan up and ready. And the plan wasn't about a big sign in left field. The plan was to create engagement in the marketplace to make sure that men know what it means to be aware of your health and how to maintain and, and what to do. And we leveraged partnerships with, with all of the teams in the marketplace. We had uh, broadcasters both within the team broadcasters, also local news media wearing blue, blue mustaches. Mm -hmm. They explained on air why they were wearing blue mustaches. They drove people to websites and social media. We had players including Peyton Manning, uh, Mark Schlereth, uh, players from the Ro Rockies, uh, Nuggets, and Avalanche involved doing pop-up events. Uh, we had pedicabs all over the community. We had 15-plus uh, skyscrapers in downtown Denver with blue lights on to celebrate Movember. Um, so it was a holistic campaign to, to really get people to say, first and foremost, what's going on? Why, why am I being communicated to? And then what can I do and what should I do? And it really drove massive numbers in, in the tens of millions in terms of impressions. And most importantly, it drove people to websites, it drove people to social media, and it drove people to their doctor. Right. It, it achieved the goal of not just awareness, but the, the, and not just giving out a call to action, but then the action taking place. So that's, uh, congrats to you guys on, on doing that. And, you know, to have 11 days, um, you had about 10 days more than usual, probably. Right, right. Done, it was right? a vacation. <laughs> it was downhill most of the way. Now, was... So, so looking back at uh, well, one more question on kind of current day for folks too. They may or may not be familiar with Paragon. You, uh, how, how big is Paragon right now? How many employees and about how many you know uh, folks um, or not folks working here? That's employees. How many clients uh, as well? Sure. So, like any marketing agency, we're rather fluid. Uh, we are always looking to grow, and, and we're in a fortunate position that 2016 and 2017 have been tremendous growth years and two of our best years ever. We have 90-plus employees. We have two primary offices, one in Chicago and one in the suburbs of Chicago, but we also have employees in Dallas, California, and, and a few other states. Um, and in terms of, of clients, um, we currently work with some of the biggest brands in the world, like, like Gatorade, ESPN, PNC, I mentioned UC Health, PPG Paints, which is the number two paint supplier in the world, and, and many other brands on a national and global basis. And one, one way that people can get in touch with you, you talked about you know, you, things being fluid, but you're often... Uh, are looking to grow or at least, uh, you know, add good people, and that's paragonmarketing.biz is the uh, website, right? Correct, paragonmarketing.biz, B-I-Z. B-I-Z. And then you know, now we'll get into the, the painless wayback machine is, you know, how did you get here to you know, looking at this uh, holistically in terms of sports and, and event marketing, uh, you didn't start out as uh, you, you went to the uh, uh, Harvard of the Midwest, as did I, uh, the University of Illinois. But you were not, uh, this, this wasn't maybe even on your radar back when you were in school or just out of school. What did you, you know, what were you thinking you would do? What were you expecting your training needed to be? Those sure. kinds of things. It's a great question, and, and I don't know if I've ever shared the story with you, but I, I really have alcohol to thank for my... Kids at home, don't listen to this part. My entree into sports and entertainment. So uh, I attended, as Chris mentioned, the University of Illinois down in Champaign-Urbana. And for the most part, I put myself through school, starting as a janitor and bouncer at bars to uh, being a doorman to uh, bartending and finally managing numerous bars over my five-year stint at the University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. 
I was a psychology major, and upon graduation, I was accepted to a grad program at Loyola University in downtown Chicago, and my plan was to be a therapist. I wanted to be a psychologist. And the summer before I was going to start at Loyola, after I finally graduated five years later from U of I, the summer before I realized it's time to go find a job. I, I needed spending money, so I started to put in applications at various bars and restaurants and institutions that hired bartenders in downtown Chicago. And one of the places I put in an application was the Chicago Theater, which if you're not from Chicago, the Chicago Theater is analogous to Carnegie Hall. It's Chicago's grandest, oldest, most elegant entertainment venue uh, built in the 1920s. And it had gone through a major renovation that summer, and I figured they must be looking for bartenders. So I put it in a bartending app. They called me that afternoon, and they said, we're not ready to hire bartenders, but we need an assistant director of food and beverage. Would you come back and interview for that? And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I want to check that out, and if I get that job, I can defer and, and start school in, this, in the spring. But what a cool opportunity. This was a huge, huge deal in the city of Chicago, and some of the biggest entertainers in the world were going to headline that fall, Frank Sinatra, Bill Cosby, et cetera, and I thought I really would like to be a part of that. I was fortunate enough to get the job, and for about six weeks I helped build the food and beverage department, selecting wines, going to amazing wineries, and picking out wines and champagnes for a 22-year-old punk who knew nothing about <laughs> wine, it was a pretty cool trip. And hiring the staff and, and, and figuring out staffing rotations, et cetera. And about six weeks into that position, we had a staff meeting, and the staff was all about 15 people. And the general manager at the time said, I've been talking to other GMs at other theaters and auditoriums across the country, and a, a lot of them are starting to have a new position called special events manager. Anyone want that job? And I was like a basketball player diving for a loose ball. I raised my hand. I probably stood up off my, my chair and said, I'll take it. And then I met with him afterwards and says, what does that mean? And, and really, that was special events was the precursor to what we now call sponsorship, promotions, owned events. My job was to go after sponsor, sponsors for the venue, uh, create events that sponsors could put their name on, et cetera. And by 11 o'clock that morning, I was the special events manager. I left the Chicago theater, walked down the alley to a hot dog stand, got my lunch, and was walking back in that alley. And I had one of the few true epiphanies of my life. I was carrying my bag of hot dogs and fries. And by the way, I'm now a vegan. So <laughs> that really was a wild moment for me to look back at. And I stopped in my tracks and said, wow, I'm now in entertainment marketing. I'm going to use this moment, this opportunity, to get into sports marketing. And my goal is one day to own a sports marketing agency. Hmm. So You thought that uh, that was in the epiphany, even to that point. I, wow. I was that definitive, holding my bag of hot dogs and fries in the alley of the Chicago Theater, realizing I had an opportunity. And I set a wild-ass, bold goal and from that point on, every career decision I did, every, every career decision I made, as well as a lot of my ac actions and activities within my future jobs were all focused on, is this going to get me closer to that eventual goal of being a partner in a sports marketing agency? Huh. So how long, uh, how long did you work at the Chicago Theater? And you know, all, basically all of this stuff in one way could be looked at. Everything was new to you. You had not, certainly not held either of those positions, food and beverage manager or special events director, manager kind of position. So you could look at it like, oh God, how do I figure this out? I'm imagining you may have looked at it like, oh, this isn't that much different from running a bar and managing people and customers that way. But how did you figure some things out? Did you have the, the uh, you have a mentor at that point? Are you asking other people? Were you relying on intuition? How, how was that initial thing then saying and helping you make the decision, uh, this is working towards owning a sports marketing agency? In, in hindsight, uh, an attribute that I've carried throughout my adult life even that early was I haven't had many true mentors in my life uh, which isn't a positive, but I've looked at the, the world as, as a mentor, 
and I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to reach out to people who have more experience, who quote unquote know better, quote unquote have done it, and ask them their opinions. How do they get this done? Uh, what are their priorities? So I was able to meet a lot of people in that position, talking to legends in the industry like John McDonough, who's now with the Blackhawks, who was with the Chicago Cubs back then. He was generous enough to take my, my call. My current partner, David Brenner, was with the Chicago Bulls back then. He was generous enough to take my call and, and give me some guidance. So I, I was bold enough and foolish enough to ask a lot of people for advice and mentorship. And I think people appreciated that and, and gave me some, some really good grounding in what I was trying to achieve there. I started to ask this before, but um, then, then went, went back into more of the, kind of the philosophy or figuring out process. What, how long were you there and, um, you know, and why move on from, from that sure. point? Because it sounds like you, know, you really got to touch a lot of different stuff and, and get to these relationships with the Hawks and the Bulls and those kinds of things. So, Good question. So I, I did not uh, leave after the fall season to start my a path towards a grad degree in psychology, I stayed, and I stayed for two and a half years because it was, it was an exciting opportunity, and I was learning and growing and having a lot of fun. But I also knew that that wasn't by any means the, the ultimate stop. So I, I was out there looking at other opportunities. As I said earlier, I, I used my goal as being a partner in a sports marketing agency as somewhat of a barometer to look at different opportunities that came along. I had an opportunity to go work for a, a CBA basketball team, minor league basketball, and the counsel I received from some of those mentors was, that's probably not going to get you closer to where you want to be. Uh, I had an opportunity to go work for a monster truck company, and while monster trucks at the time was huge, I couldn't get passionate, I couldn't get excited about that, so I took a pass on that, but I'll come back, come back to that. But after two and a half years at the Chicago Theater, one of the promoters who produced a lot of events at the Chicago Theater was Jam Productions. And Jam, back then and still now, was the dominant concert producer of music events in Chicago. So I worked quite a bit with Jam. And at that time, Jam was building a new outdoor amphitheater in the suburbs of Chicago. And they wanted me to come on and sell sponsorship to that venue and all their other venues. Historically, Jam had never, Jam had, never had somebody selling sponsorship. They had their two owners pretty much leveraging relationships with a cola and a beer company, and that was it. So I took the job with Jam, and I was there for a couple of years, and that was an amazing experience. But at that time, the music industry was not as structured um, and as ethical as other industries <laughs> as it is right. now, and it was a wild frontier. And I was able to do some amazing things with very little obstacle, but it was a, a crazy environment for somebody who was quasi-white collar trying to work with big companies and sell them sponsorships and make sure that sponsorships were delivered and executed appropriately. So great experience, wild experience, but I knew that if I stayed too long, it could damage my brand. And around two-plus years in with Jam, I was recruited by the same guy who recruited me to, to get into Monster Trucks, and he now was working for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that was an easy decision. And uh, went out there, interviewed, received the, the offer, and was in Cleveland doing sponsorship and promotions for just about three years, which was a great experience. And is that where the um, call to come back to Chicago, coming on board with Halo, or was there something else that, that brought you back here? There was something else. Um, I was having a great run in Cleveland, but I did have a desire, as did my wife, to get back to Chicago eventually, which in the sports industry, you're not always lucky enough to get back to your hometown because there's only so many jobs, and if you're recruited to go out of market, and that's pretty much what you have to do, about three years into my position with the Cavs, I was recruited by a minor league hockey team in Chicago, the Chicago Wolves. And I'll never forget, I, I received a phone call from the president of Grant Mulvey, who at the time was the Wolves president and uh, a bit of an icon in Chicago, played hockey for the Blackhawks, and answered my phone and I hear, hi, Tony, it's Grant Mulvey with the Chicago Wolves. And I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> 
And he goes on to tell me that he's heard great things about me and would like to talk to me about a VP position with the Wolves. And my initial reaction, and this is another time where time froze for me, my initial reaction was, you gotta be kidding me. I'm gonna leave the NBA for a minor league team. And then another voice in my head, I, I have lots of voices in my head, unfortunately, <laughs> but we're working on that. Another voice in my head said, don't be an idiot, this is an opportunity to get home. So I quickly took him up on the offer to spend a weekend with him and the owner of the Chicago Wolves. And I learned that the Wolves, who had been in business for two years, were crushing it relative to ticket sales, but were doing abysmally relative to sponsorship. And my theory at the time was, if I could apply what I learned in terms of NBA sponsorships, in terms of sponsorship strategies, activation and execution, and coupled with minor league pricing, knowing that the Blackhawks at that time were struggling in the market, my expectation was that we could crush it. And we did. We, during the two years I was there, we increased sponsorship revenue by 135%. Wow. So we had a great run. Um, and it, it also helped me understand that engagement, forget about sports, but engagement, it doesn't matter if it's major league or minor league, if people are having a great time, if you're offering them a fair and healthy value proposition against the dollar they're committing, and they believe that you're trying to deliver them a great experience, they'll really appreciate that. And that's what happened during those, those few years. Uh, between ticket sales and sponsorship, the, the Wolves skyrocketed. The Blackhawks, again, were not in a healthy position at that time, and hockey fans in Chicago really appreciated an organization that was trying to create a, a fair and value-driven entertainment proposition for them. What do you think, you know, that's, that's a theme I, I keep, uh, keep phrase, keep hearing from you about, you know, the fan engagement and the uh, guest experience and things like that. How, how do you think, what, what, what shaped that or what helped give you some of that smart intuition to know the importance of that? Because a lot of people... Even people that are in, in sports and team side, some people may have been in sports a long time and still don't have that figured out. They're more stuck on you know, the revenue side or such black and white issues. Is there, is there um, you know, a, not a trick to it, because that's so, that's so negative sounding, but where do you draw that from? And then not only understanding it, but then understanding what, what works and what doesn't within that. So a, a couple of points on that. As an athlete uh, a long time ago, as, as, as a kid through high school, I, my favorite sport was basketball, and I was a point guard. And part of your responsibility as a point guard is to see the floor, see the opportunities, and set others up to succeed. And when I worked for the Chicago Theater, when I worked for Jam, when I worked for the Cleveland Cavaliers, when I worked for the Chicago Wolves, a common denominator was we weren't the biggest player in the market. We weren't the Chicago Bulls. We weren't the Blackhawks. Cleveland is not a major market. So well, this is long before LeBron. Right, <laughs> yes. This was before LeBron. So I was always selling an underground, underdog property. I was always having to grab people's attention and help them understand how they could win, how they could succeed, how they could help themselves relative to their career path, how they could help their business grow and achieve their objectives. So my orientation, my focus was always, how can we help people succeed? And if on the sponsor front, that was not going and talking about a big sign, not going and talking about media, but we're going to create promotions, we're going to create activation that will help you drive your business goals. And relative to the fan experience, I knew I needed to make sure that if someone was spending a dollar that they felt like, I would do that over and over again because I got so much more than a dollar of value from that. Well, that's, that makes a ton of sense. Um, some people, like I said, have, have not come around to that realization, and uh, I think that's what's helped you stand out and excel. So now did we get to the switch to the, the forerunner of Paragon and Halo? Uh, did that come after working at the Wolves for two-plus years? So... I had been with the, Bull, with the Wolves for about two years, and I was scheduled to have lunch with my buddy David Brenner, who at this point had been with the Chicago Bulls for 13 years, 
at this point. And that relationship started to cut you off, but that started, we mentioned it before, was just reaching out to some people at different teams, right. looking at mentors, looking at peers, understanding how what makes them tick unsuccessful, right? So this had evolved from that initial to a friendship. And David had evolved exactly from a mentor to a friend. We were scheduled to have lunch one day and I walk into his office at the brand new, sparkling, shiny <laughs> United Center. I walk into his office and I, I remember it. I said, what's up, dude? And David threw a piece of paper at me and said, that's what's up. And I said, what is that? And he said, read it. It was his resignation from the Chicago Bulls. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? You have four rings and you still have Michael. What are you doing? And he said, I'm going to start a, a sports marketing agency. I don't want to go through this grind anymore. Working for the Chicago Bulls, like any team, is phenomenal, but it is a grind. You've got 41 evenings of basketball, plus concerts, plus special events, plus a few road games, and then hopefully you get to go into the playoffs. And with the Bulls, David was blessed to go to the playoffs a lot. Right, right. And he was exhausted. And we went to lunch that day, and I said, what's your plan? And I'll never forget it. D David said, I don't really have a plan but I, I know two things. I want to create an environment where I can have a better quality life and everyone who works with us can have a better quality life. And I want an opportunity to make more money and want to create an environment where everyone has an opportunity to make more money. And those two edicts I recall and remind us of all the time in our environment from David's position down to our interns, we've created a great culture. People are challenged to accept being empowered People get to think, act, suggest, challenge, debate. We don't keep track of time. You want to come in at noon and leave at four? That's fine. Just get your work done. You want to work a weekend? You don't want to work a weekend? You need to work late? That's all on you as long as you're doing your responsibilities to our clients and to our coworkers. And has it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, it's evolved certainly in that philosophy, but would you say that that was pretty accurate even early on? Because that would have really, that would be a big differentiator uh, fr from most other agencies out there. Uh, the flexibility of places has, has grown, but uh, that, that really would have made you a forerunner in that space, right? Well, absolutely. When we came out of the shoot, uh, in some ways we didn't know what we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And we, having David having been with the Bulls for a long time, my experience in, in the sports, entertainment, and music industry for a long time, we felt like the, the sponsorship world really was stagnant. And, and we, we really believed, before the term activation was in, in vogue, we believed that, that brands were spending a lot of money for a big sign in left field. Right. And they were leaving money on the table by not activating. And we thought that we could come up with strategies to help brands monetize their investments much better than what was happening in the marketplace. So we weren't afraid to challenge, and we felt it was critical to challenge because if we didn't challenge what was acceptable, we probably wouldn't be successful because we, we had an orientation that there is better, you can do better. And we wanted our staff to feel that way as well. David and I knew early on that not only could we not cover every meeting, every call, manage every minute of every client relationship, we didn't want to. We, we didn't want to create another IMG empire. Uh, back then, when our kids were young, and I think at that time I didn't even have any kids, <laughs> we knew that we wanted to coach literally, go to dance recitals, be a part of our family's life. We did not want to truly work 24-7. So we had to create an environment, a culture where our teammates had the same thought process, same orientation, same comfort challenging the norm and feeling that they were empowered as David and I were to do whatever we could to help our clients succeed. So that, that was our, our culture back then. It's probably been a little harder to maintain, but it's still our culture. And when you have 90 plus employees, you have to a little bit, have a little bit more human resource yeah. element to the environment, but it's still fundamentally the same principles exist. And did you, were you, did you join David from the get-go, or did he start and then you came on board? And you know, who, who was kind of in the room, using air quotes, in those initial stages as you, know, you as a partner and things like that? Was, was there a core group that? So David left the Bulls with one of he, his key coworkers, 
So initially, Halo Sports was founded in 1995 with two employees, and I had some business to clean up and some commissions to collect, honestly. <laughs> right. So I stayed with the Wolves for a little bit longer and, and joined David about six months into Halo Sports. So I was employee number three. Okay. And so there was a, a I could say, interesting run with Halo uh, for then it was about seven, seven years, right? And that was a period of time, too. There was... Um, some explosive growth, but it, what was was that um, on the, pr the premium side? Like, fill me in on that because now it's it's been a long time. And was that a, a different iteration of Halo, or was that all here at the, the same time? And how did that ba basically? What I, we don't need to dig up anything or whatever. Go into stuff that's um, not on on task. I want to be more like how is that shaped? What right. what so you guys are today. Our parent company was Halo Industries, and Halo, Halo was, at the time, the world's largest premium company. Promotional products, okay. logos on stuff. And, and so David was creating the sports marketing David arm David created a sports them. marketing okay. arm All right. of Halo, and Halo, in 2001, went bankrupt. Yep. They went Chapter 11. Our subsidiary, our business is Halo Sports, was profitable, successful, and growing, but the challenge and the reality was several of our key clients at that time, including General Mills, Continental Airlines, and Gatorade, all three of them said, we love you and we want to continue with you, but we can't have a vendor who's in Chapter 11. So mm -hmm. either you have to separate from Halo or we're going to have to terminate our relationship. So we, as David, myself, and our other partners, basically I had to negotiate with the bankruptcy trustee to buy the subsidiary that was Halo Sports, and that's why we created Paragon Marketing Group Jan 1, 2002. So what we purchased were basically the rights to keep the contracts and transition our employees. Okay. I didn't realize that that whole, that was the sequence. Interesting. And then, I mean, in a way, too, that, that had to have been a little bit of an advantage uh, for for you all, well, two advantages. One that he had, uh, you, you had somebody helping launch the company in the in the first place. Some financial backing is is great. And then when you took it over in the beginning of '02, you also had a proven financial model and understanding, um, you know, how it was working, understanding the overhead piece and the new business piece and and those things. So uh, you had already learned or gone through some of that stuff. Uh, as Halo slash Paragon, so that had to have been helpful too to, to further set yourself up for success going forward as Paragon. There were a lot of advantages to our six years of incubation at Halo. Mm -hmm. uh, when David started Halo Sports under Halo Industries, Halo financed us, they gave us offices, furniture, accounting support, legal support, so we didn't have to really worry about some of those startup elements and the infrastructure. So that's the good news, bad news. And then when we left to start Paragon, we really didn't learn from our six years at Halo. <laughs> okay, good. I like and, the honesty. And more importantly, we already had a pretty successful business. We had, I don't know at the time, we probably had eight or ten consulting clients. We were busy. We had a lot of work going on. So we just changed names, mm -hmm. and everything else was was pretty much constant. And I, I can tell you honestly and candidly, we didn't really think about the Paragon brand until very recently. It took us 20 years to stop, hit pause, and say, okay, let's define our brand. We spent 20 years working for other people and defining their brands and helping to grow and enhance their brand positioning, statement, essence, engagement. So we knew we, knew we needed to just hit the pause button for a moment and think about our own brand, which we did recently. So it was great to have Halo help us get launched. It, we were fortunate that, unfortunately for Halo, who was great to us, they went bankrupt, and that enabled us to start Paragon for pennies on the dollar. That was very fortuitous. Um, but in some ways, we didn't learn how to run a business in those six years. We, we, we learned on the fly how to, how to run our business for the first few years, and we're still learning. It's a great opportunity to, to be an entrepreneur, have a small agency. Well, yeah, that's the, 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 the piece of it, too, is that you had some of those learnings, and then when you got to spin off, I mean, you might have, if fortuitously, 
of them not going bankrupt and they continue to own you, you might have had to you know, go somewhere else and totally start over to start your own thing. But this not necessarily fell into your lap because it was six plus years of, of building it. But that's, uh, uh, that's interesting. And it's, it's capitalizing on that. And then, you know, I'm looking on the wall in the conference room behind us and you've got the first caddy branding program, the first logo on a NASCAR track, a first high school game on national TV with the aforementioned LeBron James. First signage, I see the background of the halo and logo on the back of the uh, dugout walls. First time in an MLB dugout. Yeah, how were these things, uh, you know, where were these ideas coming from? How, how were you, you able to do some of these first? Because, you know, we all joke about it that there's you know, no idea is a new idea. But you were able to still succeed with some of these firsts. How was that? How much is that is you just had some really creative people here. You were... It was culture, it was luck, it was brilliant analysis of the situation. What, well, what was the, how you did know, some of these things come about? While remaining modest and humble, it, it's, it's all of those. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when, when, when David and I left the team sports side, we truly believed that we could do better. And the industry had quickly grown stagnant and, and focused on the wrong things like the big sign in left field and, and great tickets and a meet and greet rather than what does this mean for the consumer and how do we engage with the consumer and put our brand in front of the consumer. So we, we pride ourselves on, on being challengers and innovators. So when you look at some of the first that you mentioned, uh, one of our clients, Nature Valley Granola Bar, we helped them negotiate a partnership with the PGA Tour. And part of that sponsorship, the driver of that sponsorship initially was Nature Valley as a product was going in the wrong direction. And they put an RFP out for a sampling program and they wanted to sample as many bars as they could and they were looking to sample at train stations, at malls, anywhere and everywhere they could sample. And one of my partners, Rashid Ghazi, was able to get into the RFP and, and said, we don't believe in your orientation. Hmm. We, th we think the paradigm should be let's partner with entities that their fans actually are passionate about your brand and let's negotiate free sampling as part of that. Well, Nature Valley had data that said that the biggest consumer of their products were golfers. Hmm. So let's do a deal with PGA Tour and get the sampling for free but still hit the same sampling numbers. So we did, deal, did a deal with the tour, but one of the elements that the tour pretty much force-fed into all of their sponsorship deals was traditional bad media. And I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, my friends at the tour, if you're listening, especially Rob Ono, but program ads and, and other media that just weren't working dollars. Yeah. And Rashid went back to the tour and said, we love you, we love the relationship, but these dollars aren't working for us, we need something else. And they continue to put in front of Rash and his team various media elements that we didn't feel would work hard. And we said, how about if we come back with a suggestion? So we had some brainstorms and, and we came back to them and said, what if we sponsor the Caddy Hats? So we had done our homework and depending on the tournament, the individual who got the second or third most TV exposure in any broadcasted golf tournament mm -hmm. is the caddy. So usually, you know, the number, whoever wins the tournament is going to get the most exposure. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in some tournaments, whoever is coming in second. But then the aggregate exposure for the caddies, that aggregate, is exceptionally valuable. So we went to the tour and said, we want every caddy to wear a hat that says Nature Valley Granola Bar on it. And we'll, we'll take that in lieu of the other media elements. Mm. And they said yes, and we, we had that position, General Mills had that position for about 14 years, and it was incredible value. Um, and it just all comes down to not accepting the norm, not accepting what the tour was hoping to sell us. That's a, I, I love that example. The, and to make it last for 14 years is, it shows it's, it's, it's working and well-received and hitting ROI and those kinds of things. So nice work. The, the, the um, you know, kind of a, of a general thing I would also wanted to ask you about is, you know, when you're looking at, 
at hiring people right now or, or, or folks that are just coming on board and, and new to fairly new in the, in the industry, what kind of, uh, you know, advice are you giving them? Because they haven't, maybe they're, if they're right out of school, they haven't worked at a couple different teams and, and, you know, like your experience of working at a venue and a couple different teams, even in different markets, besides obviously just getting experience in some way, is what do you, you know, what do you teach or what do you talk to for people to kind of figure out what they want to do, what they are good at, what they like to do? You know, what, is there, is there, I, I mean, maybe, no, I'm putting, not going to put any more words in your mouth. What do you tell these folks? So the reality, first of all, is that individuals that we interview for entry-level positions and even internships, they're coming to us with a pretty solid resume already as 21, 22-year-olds. They've had two, three, four internships in our industry, and they're attending a school that has a sports business program. So seldom do we see someone who is truly raw relative to our industry and experience. But what I tell people is to think bold, be bold. And what I mean by that is come to the table with ideas. Come to the table with an understanding of how you can impact our business. When, when we interview people and I hear people say, I love sports my whole life and I played baseball in high school and I, you know, I love football and I, I don't care. We're not looking for a shortstop for our softball team. And actually our shortstop's pretty good. <laughs> What we're looking for is people that can impact our clients' business and, and help us succeed and help our clients succeed. And what I want to know is how can you do that now and how over time are you going to develop where you can continue to enhance what we're doing for our clients? And, th and that may be how you write, how you present, how you think, how you execute. I want to know how people can provide skill towards our success. So I want people to, to present their thoughts on where their strengths are now, where their strengths are going to be. I don't want people to say, I love sports, and it's really important to me that I work in the sports industry. Yeah, not. Uh, I'm a people person, and, and I like going to X, basketball, baseball, football right, games. Right. I'm going to work in that. It's, it's understanding the bigger picture. What, um, you know, what's your thought about, did you, I don't think you have, did you go for master's or MBA? I mean, I know you talked about going to grad school for, psychology, but did you end up going, have you done master's MBA type work? I have not. So as we said at the kickoff, kickoff of our discussion, I'm an old guy yeah. and really the programs in sports business were, I think Ohio University and maybe UMass were the only two around back then. It just wasn't necessary. I got my grounding in the industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now there are over 300 colleges that have accredited undergraduate programs in sports business. It's yeah, you're involved with uh, Central Florida's, University of Central Florida's uh, program, right? Uh, I'm on the board at, at UCF. It's, it's one of the top programs in, in sports business. They, they have a, a unique graduate program that is a dual degree MBA as well as a master's in sports business. And it's a, it's a strong, strong opportunity to to build your knowledge of the industry before you go out in the marketplace. And do you think, yeah, so let's talk about that before they go out in the marketplace. Is that something that, do you think it's, um, you know, would you advise somebody that uh, to, to get a little bit of experience and then, and then go back if they had that opportunity? Or, you know, is it good to roll right through it and then from, from undergrad to grad and, and then, you know, never, not have any more uh, pauses in your career? I'm not sure that from our perspective, we've necessarily seen a deviation in value between someone who solely has an undergrad or also has a grad degree. Don't get me wrong, we've hired great people that have just had undergrads. We've, we've hired great people that have, have master's degrees. But we don't necessarily say, if you don't have a master's, we're not gonna talk to you. We, we wanna hire great people that fit our culture, that have the shared ethics, integrity, principles, and then can add value. And if you're 22 or 24, if you have an undergrad or a grad, that's not necessarily criteria that is critical to yeah. our equation. And unfortunately, we have had some interview candidates that were looking to be compensated because of their debt. And yeah, right. we didn't ask them to go into debt. So mm -hmm. 
I respect the experience and the value of those master's programs immensely, and there's some great programs out there, literally 10 plus programs that I'm aware of that I think are in the phenomenal category. But I think that it's important for candidates to understand that just because you've gone through and, and earned your master's, the marketplace may not reward you from a compensation perspective because you have that master's. Well, that, that's not the, you think that, yeah, some, some folks will think that's the leverage that they need to, and that totally justifies just instantly more pay. And I think it's that, you know, somebody that, I mean, they, and they could be, they could be brilliant and, and great, but as much of anything, like you said, of getting two, three, four different types of internships of real, you know, willing to roll up the sleeves and dive in and get whatever type of, of, of a true understanding of the team or the, the agency, the brand and what they're doing is definitely, to me at least, I'm talking from my perspective, is more important than, you know, somebody that kind of just, you know, grinds their way through some some books and some grad classes. It's the the school of hard knocks thing. And again, like like you, I'm an old guy and also don't have the master's, so I'm maybe just a, you know, a little biased. But I think that getting one way or another, making sure you're getting real practical experiences is the, the biggest part of it. It, it. Not to denigrate at all the, the, the graduate level experience, because no. I'm a champion of that. I think that's great. But I agree with you. The, the, to us, the more important element is the real world experience. What events, teams, leagues, conferences, et cetera, have you worked for with, created? What have you done within those internships, experiences? So you understand what our business really is all about. I think this is kind of a good thing to close on is, you know, looking back to the last three decades now, really, of, of experience and how things have changed. I think it's also, we've talked a lot about, you know, kids and interns and going into grad school and things like that. But what about us, us folks that have been, uh, you know, around for a long time? A lot of things have changed. There can be a knock on millennials. Oh, you know, it's, they, they're telling each other too much stuff or they're too transparent or whatever. And I, I tend to think that some guys uh, in our bracket aren't understanding that some of those skills and passions actually, uh, especially when pointed in the right direction, can be amazing. So, you know, what do you, what do you think of somebody, you know, or how have you approached things to try to stay positive, stay fresh, um, stay in the know, know how to get, get uh, you know, push the right buttons is not really a good term, but with, with those under 30 folks that are out there, what do, how do you or what advice do you give to other other folks who may feel like they're struggling with those kids these days? Well, first of all, I love those kids these days. Oh, yeah. our, our, our company is, is full of those kids and uh, great energy, great passion. They inspire me. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, there, there's a few things that, that I've always tried to do. First and foremost is always have big goals. Secondly, be aware of myself. Um, most recently, over the last several years, and this will get into the what I call the granola side of me or the Zen <laughs> side, but uh, I'm big into meditation, I'm big into mindfulness, and that helps me stay in the moment. You know, for the last 10 plus years, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about multitasking and you have to multitask, and it, you know, it's, it's almost a badge of honor that you can be on a conference call and work on a PowerPoint and do your fantasy football picks all at the same time. And I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> and the reality is that that's simply bullshit. We can't. Right. We need to be in the moment. And we need to be present and be committed to that moment. And hopefully, if you're talking about somebody that's more experienced, more seasoned, hopefully that's easier for them to re- remain in the moment. So all of that is one element. The second element is I'm a big reader. Uh, a book that uh, I've been recommending lately is a book called Why They Follow. And it's a book on leadership. And I'll sum it up. I'll ruin the book for you so you don't have to buy it. And I apologize to the author, Scott Love. Um, the book can be summed up in, in four words. How can I help? And that's part of our mantra as an agency. That's part of my mantra as a human and as someone in the business world. If you have that orientation of, I'm here to help, I'm here to add value to your effort, and you can add that value, you'll be perceived as someone that people want on their team. 
Not every day, not everyone's going to say, I want that person on my team. But if your orientation is, how can I help? Enough people will recognize that to say, wow, that's different. That's refreshing. And I need that help. So in our industry, most of us should be in that how can I help role. Most of us are not on the court field stage engaged in the actual event. Most of us are trying at the end of the day to add value to someone's experience, whether it's a fan, whether it's a brand, whether it's a coworker. So how can I help and really servant leadership is a big part of what I think about. And the last thing I do is I, I continue to try and, and I don't like to use the word network, I stay in touch with my friends. And uh, in our industry, you make friends quickly. It's a very small industry for the most part, and we all know each other. And it's, it's easy to maintain those fr friendships and the relationships. And you know, a lot of times people don't realize we forget the very simple idiom of, we do business with people we like. And I don't care what your brand is. I don't care what, what technology we're talking about. At the end of the day, part of the equation is we do business with people we like. Mm -hmm. And whether you're 55 or 25, that's something that we should keep in mind. I think that's all very well put and a great way to end. Unless you've got anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't today. Are we doing all right? Yeah. All right. Well, Tony Schiller, uh, partner at Paragon Marketing, thank you. This was awesome. I really appreciate this big chunk of your time. Look forward to staying in touch and have a great weekend, man. Go Illini. That's right. Thanks so much to Tony for his time. And uh, make sure you check the pod feed for info on the book he mentions, why they follow, as well as a link to connect, uh, all kinds of links to connect with Tony and Paragon, as well as tonight's event slash donating to Children's Home and Aid. Thank you so much for uh, doing that in advance. Hopefully, I will see you tonight. All right, get out of your ears. And until next time, it's Chris Hartwig saying, stay connected, friends. Stay connected.